Ready? Ready. Turn your level down. Too far? Uh, not enough. Okay. Well, this is Out of the Main, and we are back for another song focus episode. John, how are you this fine afternoon? I am fine this fine afternoon, and this one came to us how? I was on the potty. And- uh, no, 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 oh. no. That's, oh, that that's Jay's real. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this came to us by viewer mail. Mail's in. Listener suggestion. Yep. He, was it he? Yep. Asked. Yep. <laughs> if yep. we would do a song focus episode on George Benson's Turn Your Love Around. But we before are. we get there, just want to remind everyone to check us out at either yachtrockpodcast.com or out of the main.com. If you're not following us on Facebook, please do so. And we love your comments on the posts. So anything you want to offer, suggest, like today's topic, or just comment on, love to hear from you, as well as the listener mailbag, which we got to get back to. Uh, we will. At some point. But this is a banner week. This it is, is indeed a banner week because this might be the first time we're actually going to be talking in depth about synth bass without me ambushing you in the lightning round with it. You've actually agreed to this on the front end. Do we have to talk about the bass part? It's very central to the song. Yes, we do. Yeah. There, there's a, a, a variation on a theme to that topic, too, because there's a lot of <laughs> manufactured sounds in the song. So, But we'll That's get true. back to that. Yeah. Yes. I was thinking of that on the way over. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, before we get there, do you want to just talk about uh, Turn Your Love Around, of course? Uh it just won a Grammy, right? It was written by uh, Steve Lukather, Jay Graydon, and each kind of brought their own parts to it. And then um, Bill Champlin lyrics on that. Let's not forget Bill Champlin. No, because yeah, when we, we interviewed know. him a few months ago. He was still a little salty. They almost about... did, didn't they? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Um, well, they tell the story, which are we going to get to tell the story today? Haven't we done that? No. I don't mind if you want to retell the story. We've but... alluded to it. We've yes. just never told it. And as I'm doing my research for the song, I'm like, well, if it's good enough for Wikipedia, it can be good enough for Out of the Main. All right. Well, then why don't you go ahead? Well, I'll, just the I'll song where you process. make mistakes. Okay. As you, uh, <laughs> is your want. So, well, you read, this was in the Lukather book, wasn't it? It was in the Lukather book, but it was also, we saw it in the um, Hired, side, Gun. Hired Gun Sideman thing. Yeah. Yes. And it was told in that case in two parts going back and forth between Lukather and Jay Graydon. And Lukather tells the story that he gets a call from Jay Graydon one day and says, Hey, I'm working on a song for Benson. Yeah. Want to come over and help. Right. And when he gets there, as Luke tells it, there isn't much work that's already been done. <laughs> and he's like, what do you got? And so Lukather starts screwing around a little bit, right? And Apparently then- he had that piano riff. From something before, probably an unfinished fragment, but that was what was kind of rolling around in his head at the time. Yep. Right. And Graydon liked it so much, he said, keep going with that. I'm going to run out to the store to get a pack of smokes or something. Yep. He comes back. Look, there's got the whole idea for, I think, the A and B part, right? The verse. The well, cor- he says the verse. I don't know if that means the pre-chorus as well, but yeah. yes, correct. And Jay Graydon likes it so much, he <laughs> says, good, keep going. I'm going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> keep writing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's see, how does Wikipedia put it down? Uh, put it. He says, Graydon says, I uh, went to the bathroom and I was sitting down if you get my drift. I do. I do get the drift as well. Yeah. Is that a pun belt? Drift? Mm. Wind? Mm, no. Okay. That's sand. Anyways, he's here on Lukather Tinker in the other room and, fi- and he's working on the chorus and finally it comes to him in a moment of inspiration. Yes. He gets up. He runs out of the bathroom and screams, I and, got it. But that doesn't happen immediately. There's a lot of work for him to Get himself back together. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, 
Well, he doesn't get himself back together. I see. That's my interpretation of events. I don't know if that's true. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, we all have to ask Jay. We'll have to ask Jay. <laughs> Do we really want to ask no, Jay? No, no. Anyways, my recollection is he, as Steve puts it, um, Jay has a particular OCD when it comes to sitting down in the bathroom yes. and that he takes off all his clothes. Right. So I envision that, well, that envision, I interpreted this, this retelling of events. It. Come on. <laughs> How can you not, actually? <laughs> Uh, that he comes running out, oh. butt naked, and says, I got it. Turn your love around. Yeah, and has the chorus all figured out. Yes. So, yeah, that's, that's worth the story time. Okay, uh, story time with Tom. Okay. So that is how the song came to be. But then, yes, you mentioned the song went on one to Grammy. win a Grammy. Yeah, went number one on the Soul chart, uh, number five on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1982, and also went top 10 on the jazz chart, which is kind of interesting because it is George Benson, so he had been doing a lot of jazz previously, but this is certainly not a jazz song in any stretch. In fact, J- uh, George doesn't even play guitar on it. That's what I was going to say. So there's no, well, there is guitar in it, but there's not the George Benson And it isn't guitar. George. Yeah. yeah. So there's no jazz guitar really in it all, at all. Yeah, because uh, I actually had something that... Um, uh, I found that uh, Graydon said about it. He, he said that uh, he didn't think that Benson's style particularly fit the song in terms of uh, guitar playing. So that, that makes sense. And Graydon's doing his uh, plucky thing, which is always brilliant. Um, but Jay, as we heard him talk about, he, he, uh, he likes to work a singer really hard. He thinks that there's a lot more below the surface that he can dig out of a singer. And that was the case with George. He said, I told George, just let me work you, man. Do I have to continue the? Uh, no. Uh, okay. Uh, you said you hired me as well a producer. Yeah, you hired me as producer. Let me get you sounding as good as you can, um, because in 25 years, I want you to go listen to this stuff and realize how good it was. And then George, apparently years later, continues to quote this line back to Graydon, saying that, um, you know, people don't necessarily know when something's in tune if they're not musicians, but. It's got to sound better to them. It's got to click something in their brain that it's more precise. If they have any musicality at all, the better pitch center has got to dri- has got to trigger something in their brain that releases some sort of chemical that's more satisfying to them. This was Jay's theory of why you needed something perfect, even if non-musicians supposedly, quote, can't tell it's out of tune. Hmm. He's probably right about that to, to a large degree. Yeah, I've never experienced that personally, so I wouldn't know. But yeah, sounds right. Do you want to um, run through personnel real yeah, quick? why don't you? Go ahead. So we've got George Benson, of course, only credited with lead vocals. Right. Um, Jay Graydon on guitar, synthesizer, and arrangements. And you're guessing, or you know, that he is doing the palm mutes in here, which we'll hear yes. in a minute. Okay. Yes. Jay Winding on acoustic piano and Fender Rhodes. Right. Um, I want to come back to that later. Interesting. Steve Lukather is credited with the piano melody. What is that? I don't know what that means either. I saw the same thing. I don't know if maybe the that right hand bum 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 thing is maybe he played that and then the whole rest of the chord stuff is all Jay. I yep, don't know. Could be. Yep. Uh, uh, one David Foster on synthesizer. Right. And then I'll let you um, tell us who played the synth bass. David Page, often considered one of the greatest synth bass players hmm. ever, and this song is a perfect example. Okay, and we're going to come back to that bass line okay. in a yep. minute, right? We will. Uh, Jeff Beccaro, not on drums, but on? The Lynn LM-1, which is the earlier version of the Lynn drum. And it's not the same 
machine. Now, a lot of people just call it the Lindrum because that's sort of the the nomenclature that's known. But the Lin LM1 was a little bit of a different machine. It had an interesting anomaly, which when we get to playing it, you'll have to listen because the way that the snare sample was printed to the 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 ROM, the, the little computer chips inside there, there was always a little bit of a air gap at the beginning of the snare sample. Hmm. So the snare was always slightly late because when you triggered this, it would be that microscopic amount of like, I think it's two milliseconds or something like that. Mm. But when you listen to this, the claps are right on the beat, but the snare has that little air in front of it. So you can hear the claps and the snare sort of flaming to each other. Interesting. That's probably why Picaro liked it, because didn't he like playing on the back of the beat? That's exactly it. That was the whole point oh. I was getting to. Exactly cool. right. They, they Apparently, they even tried replacing it with Jeff playing live drums, and they all agreed it didn't feel as good, which is really interesting, hmm. too. We'll come back true. to that as well. Uh, your horn section is familiar folks, such as Jerry Hay, yeah. Chuck Finley, Bill Reichenbach Jr., and Gary Herbig on sax and flutes. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, backing vocals, Mr. Bill Champlin, co-writer, right. and Carmen Twilley and Vanette Cloud. Did you uh, click through to see who that Carmen Twilley is? Uh, no, I think uh, that was Mr. Twilley's wife, though. No, nah, yeah. yeah. One of the backup singers, she was, um, Carmen Twilley, was the singer, lead singer of Lion King's Circle of Life. Wow. From the original soundtrack. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. So not only is it interesting to me just from a standpoint of chock full of personnel, what you got rockers like, but getting to see Paige on synth bass and Picaro on this computerized drum of some sort yep. um, is lending itself. And then no George Benson guitar. And then what guitar there is in there is very sparse. Mm-hmm. So this is going to make for an interesting sonic journey, I believe. Well, I know so because I've heard the song before. Okay. Yeah. Shall we dive into uh, the intro maybe? Are you ready? I'm ready. Just note one quick thing. Okay. For yacht rockers out there, the very first thing you're going to hear is simulated string. String. Yeah, that (laughs) very slight fade in before the piano hits. That's true. Here we go. So... Lots of manufactured sonic gizmos going on in that thing. Fake strings, fake drums, and fake bass. Well, not fake, but... Well, you know. I mean, not real bass. Real synth bass. And then that uh, little melody line is uh, synth, right? It sounds like it's being paired with that flute at Yeah, times. there's flutes in there, too. I'm not sure if there's a synth line in there, but it's kind of funny because we focus so much on the horn parts that Jerry Hay wrote for the chorus of this song, which we've covered in the past, but uh, this flute thing, whatever you want to call it in the intro, this woodwinds thing, is a, a gem as well. Play that one more time if you would mind, and everyone can uh, put an extra ear emphasis on just that. Or go. So this is where I discovered something really killer on a harmony uh aspect okay so there's that that thing that luke brought that that piano riff that sort of becomes the bed for the verse but is also underneath the intro there it's got that long held chord which is a d minor chord and then it does that little right hand turn around each time to bring it back and he's playing a g over a so that means a g in the right hand and probably an a in the left hand and he does that three times but then the fourth time 
he plays a different chord over there. He plays what's called, it's an A7 flat 9 chord, which is a very thick, jazzy chord. And what's interesting about these flat 9 chords, they're one of the more um, in-depth chords in jazz because they want to resolve somewhere. They're, they're a very unstable sound that wants to resolve somewhere, but you don't always know where it wants to go. A typical dominant chord, a five chord in a song, has what's called a tritone in it, which is an interval that is exactly three whole steps apart, but it's a very unstable thing. It always feels like it's unsettled and it needs to go somewhere, and that's why once it resolves, you get that sense of tug, and then you're landing somewhere. The A7 flat 9 or any flat 9 dominant chord has two tritones in it, different intervals within that chord. So now that you've got two tritones, tones in it, they can go any number of different places depending on which one catches your ear. So when you hear it, you get this strong sense of unsettled that's got to go somewhere, but that's also mixed with an unpredictability that you can't tell where it wants to go. This is all, you know, psychoacoustic stuff. But he's using that then. So the first three times he plays it a very simple G over A chord, but that last one, he plays that A7 flat nine chord. And it gives you that, like I say, that unstable feeling so that when it lands, it still lands back in the exact same place, that D minor, to start the verse. But it feels like it's gone to a different place. Yeah. Because of the way it's set up. And I just find that incredibly interesting. And he actually uses the same technique in a different area on the chorus. And we'll get to that. And I'll point that one out when we get there. Yeah, and it's it's such subtlety, but such uh, it adds so much. Probably more to someone like you who's got all the music theory. But like when I hear it, I'm like, ooh, that that last time it adds a little suspense. Yeah, and right? it feels like it landed somewhere different. Yep, because a, a flat nine chord can land on a major chord or a minor chord, so it, it can go one of four really different places. Mm-hmm. You know, two of possibilities are major landings, and the other two possibilities are minor landings. So out of those four things, your mind doesn't know where it's going to go, even if you're not schooled as a musician. It's just the psychoacoustics of intervals and the way that they work. Yep, yep. Well, a couple other observations on that particular part, the acoustic piano part, is that I love how simple it is. Just three chords, and then it gives room for everything else to do its thing. And what's really doing its thing is the bass in there. Oh, yeah. This is where we have a great use of, I think, this is a proper use of synth bass. There are things going on in the bass part, the way he's using the the pitch bend wheel, the way he's sort of hitting these ghost notes below while he's playing this little kind of run up top. And There are things that a bass player wouldn't do. So it's giving you something other than just saying, well, we don't have a bass player. Let's just play it on synth. That's not what this is. This is definitely, and that's what made Paige so good, is that he could bring something musical to that element. In that, the way you're doing it on the... um on the, is it was it played on a Moog or Mini Moog? Yeah, um, it allows you because of the nature of the tone and everything is that you could play like almost like a lead melody counter melody line with the bass. That if you're playing it on the bass, it probably get absorbed and buried somewhere unless you're mixing it strange. But it allows it to kind of hold down the groove and stand out at the and same time. Mel- melodic stuff. Yeah, there's a, a video that I found. We'll uh, link to that in the show notes that shows a guy uh, is reenacting 
the performance of that bass part on a mini Moog. So if you're interested in seeing how that part is played and how he's playing with his right hand and then has to do different things with his left hand, sometimes hitting a low note below the the line. Other times he's working the mod wheel or he's working the pitch wheel. So watching him put this thing together is a, is a really interesting exercise, I think. Yep. I thought so, too. Um, even though it's contraband in my... <laughs> no, but it is cool. And again, watching it, I have more um, appreciation for the subtle nuances, like the pitch bend and certain points, you know, the yeah. slides. Because you can't, I mean, you can slide in a bass, you can't slide on a keyboard. But it would be different. Right. It would be, exactly. and, and there's every reason for me to believe that Pate played this live. It wasn't put into a sequencer and then just hit spacebar, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. So you're getting a real performance. So it probably has a lot of variation within it that you wouldn't get in something pre programmed in today's you know, sort of Pro Tools environment. Now, I will say just my overall take on the intro before we even get to the first verse is just that the only Yacht Rock element I'm hearing is the Palm Mutes. Even though I find the song, as the boys did, essential, Yacht Rock, 94.25 on the Yatsky scale. But up to this point, there's not a whole lot of Yacht Rock in this tune. Well, that sort of partly goes... You're not really stealing thunder of my lightning round, but it kind of leads to the lightning round. But while we're this could be a short up, episode, my word. <laughs> since you brought it up, um, we've taken out. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see that. We've taken out two of what you and I, maybe because you're a bass player and I'm a drummer, what we consider to be two of the building blocks, sonic essential things of a yacht rock song, which is a great bass part and a great drum groove by live players offering nuance offering all this stuff mm-hmm. can you take those things out and with them you're taking out all the different nuance that they provide can you take those things out replace them with synthetic replacements and still have yacht rock because we both have agreed that synth bass alone doesn't make it not yacht rock drum machine alone doesn't make it not yacht rock but when you start hearing those things the red flags do start to come up not to mention you're adding more synths yeah. As well, yeah. Right? There's no doubt this is essential yacht rock. It, I've never questioned it being yacht no, rock myself, either. even in, as an amateur. Right. Uh, it's like it's always felt like yacht rock to me, even though sonically, again, just to this point, because there's going to be more stuff added. Right. Other than uh, Jay Graydon's really tasty palm mutes. Oh, yeah, so and good. it it really, if you, you really want to try and hyper listen to it, notice the way that they work against the bass line. He's doing some things that work with the bass line in a really cool sort of way but it's so subtle it's difficult to describe you just kind of got to go in and try to focus your ear on it all right well can we segue into the next section or do you have more nope. on this is this the verse you mean oh yeah yeah let's we go go to you right. go to the verse i have um well sonically and rhythmically everything that's going on here we've we've kind of heard it's the same as the intro so mm-hmm. um the one note i had that bill champlin was is often asked or has commented about the part of the lyric in the verse that says that um, you've been charging by the hour for your love, <laughs> yeah. and people think he's talking about a hooker. And Bill says, you know, I was thinking more like you've been making me pay emotionally or intellectually. But some people took it to be charging by the hour as being a hooker. He said, in my mind, that isn't what it was, but it just seemed like a good idea. So that's a clarification on it is not talking about a hooker. I really never took it to be that way. I, I always either. thought I took it, it Bill's way. Yeah. yeah. So well done, Bill. So as. I spend a lot of time focusing on the bass part on this, and there's a lot of great little turnarounds that he does 
to get back to the beginning of the phrase for each part of the verse. But then what strikes me as we move to the pre-chorus is how that bass line all of a sudden just starts playing straight eights. That's my note. Okay, go ahead he, with that then. No, it's just that he finally then you a good pre-chorus is building to something big, right? Right. right. How do bass players build to something big? Straight eight notes, bump, 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 yeah. bump, 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 and he switches over from doing that busy work in the intro and verse and says, "No, I'm now I'm going to do what a bass player would do," and it's perfect. Yeah, and the um, even though the chord centers kind of change, I never really noticed it because I pay attention to the lyric and the bass, but that right hand piano pattern still continues through the pre-chorus so i'd never really noticed that before oh well i didn't notice it either so play Let's it play again it. I yes so um it's interesting what you notice when you have to listen to a song song because you're going to study it and you're right. going to dissect it i've heard this song a million times and i'm not ready to go to the chorus yet i have a final note on the pre-chorus okay the final note on the pre-chorus is something i never heard before i always thought the horns got introduced for the call and answer part of the chorus but listen to the very last stinger at the end of this pre-chorus that's where the horns come in yeah i didn't notice that before i don't know why I don't know either. I guess I'm just kind of thinking, all right, we're this is that part's over and now we're into the chorus, so but when you have to actually listen to things, you find out yeah. all this ear candy. And you're yeah, you're expected to bring a list of something to talk about, right? <laughs> yeah. But then the um <laughs> I, I guess knowing how crude the programming was on drum machines back then, uh, and how limited you were by today's comparison, how is it that within all of that, using a drum machine instead of a real drummer Jeff Picaro is still able to come up with a drum fill on a drum machine that you want to play air drums to. <laughs> Let's yes. hear that. Turn your love on. All right. Well, speaking of crude, Jay has emerged from the restroom. <laughs> There's some debate as to what he's wearing, but we've now got this. Turn your love on. So here is where the um, the tie-in to that flat nine thing I talked about at the beginning, where in the verse and in the intro, where it's centered around a, a D minor chord, and we're using this A7 flat nine to get back to the D minor center. Now, this time, we're centered, the course is centered around an A minor area. We haven't really changed uh, keys, but we're working in a different area within this same key. But each time it comes around, when, you, when he says, like, don't you show me how... Turn your love around. It, that that little turnaround chord there each time is an E7 flat nine. So again, he's taking that same sort of element that he used in a different key area for the verses and applying it here in the chorus. And I think that that kind of tie together is just brilliant writing. You know, it's very clever. Well, isn't that what uh, Steve and Bill, who both worked on the song called Adult chords? Adult chords. Big boy chords, yes. Yeah, and we've lamented, because we're old and we're shaking our fists at clouds, that yeah. today's music has four chords and they're all basically major. You might get a you know a minor fifth if you're lucky, or maybe a seventh. 
but you don't get this kind of thing. No, and it's not like this disrupts your listening either. It no. Take, it's, it doesn't take you off in this wild area. It's just a little turnaround thing. You get a little tension and then release. And it allows you to sing then and put melodies over more complex chords. Indeed. You don't get that if you're being all simple and young and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so we also, of course, have this uh, unforgettable etched in... In history forever, the call and answer between the lead vocal and the Jerry Hay horns, which we talked about at length. Absolutely iconic. It is. You can't yep. sing this song without singing the horn parts. And you can't not do the air drum fill, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, now I won't be able yeah. to. Um, just it's We've talked about it at length. We have a whole episode. If you missed it, we have a whole episode on Jerry Hay and his, uh, his prowess. So yeah. uh, we went into it depth there. So we won't do it here, but anything you wanted to add about well, that? Not the horns itself as, as much as it's such a an efficient song, though, that it gets from point A to point B to point C very, as I said, efficiently. There is no, there's nothing wasted here. It's not a long song. I mean, really, it kind of gets most of the guts by three minutes and 20 seconds, but it's very thick with ideas, but it is not like you're listening to it and waiting for the next thing to happen because it's so drawn out, like some jazz fusion thing. It's very, very well-crafted pop song with some jazzy stuff. So I know we haven't even reached the bridge yet, but I wanted to say that. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting you say that because in terms of things being compact, the vocal phrasings of the chorus, you, you know, so I was joking before, but, you know, this eureka moment comes to Jay Graydon. We don't even have the horn section yet. Right. But what struck him so awesome about turning your love around? There's not much there to love yet. This is true. Unless he could hear everything, because Jay probably could. He could probably hear all the stuff into the future. But like, I can show you how. It's yeah. over and over. Very simple notes. Makes me wonder if he had the horn part in his head, if that came from him. Yeah. And then he just said to Jerry, you know, I hear this, turn your love around. But You know, yeah. maybe he had both parts. Yep. In which case, then I could see the Eureka moment, how that works. Like, well, you want to see the Eureka moment. No, I, the you're the one who envisioned it. <laughs> I imagine. Now, wait, how do you use that? Same thing. Moving right along. Um, do you have anything before we get to the bridge? Because I have one nope. last little bit of ear candy do that I, I'm sure I always heard, but I never appreciated, which was coming out of the chorus, and right before you get into the next verse, you've got this little subtle synth trill. Play it back. Just the last thing you hear right before we're going back into the verse. Yeah, I never really noticed that. That's like upper register the the roads with those with the chimes turned on. The thing that Jay said he never ah. liked to have on, but they were on so just there. Isolate it real quick so people know what we're talking about. And here it is in at the end in contact. Kind of tasty. I mean, they yeah. added little things just to add little things. That's probably just Jay Winding. Just eh, whatever. You know, yeah. Here we go. In second verse, yeah, that's one here of those things. Go. Like you said, probably comes up at rehearsal and somebody says yes, 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 yeah, yes. Yeah. Do that every yeah. time. Yeah. All right, so second verse comes up, pretty much same as the first. Yep, chorus as well. And um, you have something on the bridge? Um, not a whole lot. What do you have? I have nothing other than that the bridge does what almost like textbook bridge should do. I mean, the reason that bridges are called a bridge is they're often musical connective tissue that gets you from the end of a chorus to a solo or to a third verse or it's bridging two sections together and this does exactly that it bridges the the end of the second chorus gives you something different to refresh the song and then takes you back 
to the course for the outro. So Yeah, that was the part I was going to emphasize is that it takes you to a new place almost to kind of, like you said, refresh the song. Yeah. Then gets you back to where you started. But it also creates like tension again. Some newfound tension and mm-hmm. excitement. We're building to something. Lyrically, it's common to sort of summarize if there's anything left that needs additional explanation or whatever that the bridge is often used as that place to summarize and give the final, you know, bit of uh lyric. Do you have anything on the chord progression or the chord centers? I didn't write section? anything down on uh, that. Cause I was more interested in now what happens on the out chorus. Well, what happens on the out chorus? Well, um, at some point George comes in with what I'm not sure if these are ad libs or written lyrics. That's that my note, too, but it adds another layer. We talked about how the vocal phrasing is kind of sparse yes. by design, which leaves space then for these new, again, I didn't know if they were ad-libs or whatever, but another layer of vocal melody. They sound written to me because they're extended phrases, and he does them twice. Yeah. But it's like the song needed one more thing, and it didn't need to blow your doors off and go over the top and start ripping a solo, but they just added this additional lyric. Well, they could have. They had Luca through there. They had Graydon there. They had some horn players. Yeah. And then it goes to the slow fade, like every good Yacht Rock song Mm, should. Indeed. Indeed. So that's the tune. Um, I wanted to go back to something you said at the outset, though, because here we've got the, the vamp or the fade out or whatever you want to call it. It had there been live bass player, had there been Jeff Picard, we would have all these opportunities to, what do they call it? Save something for the fade. Save something for the fade. Well, they had the vocal line that they added, mm -hmm. but there's, you know, you don't have this little tasty fill that you forgot was there on the bass or or on the drums or something. You're like, oh, he did that just for us. So that's the downside. So it does come across, though, my only downside on the song is from that standpoint, the fade out feels just a little stiff, only because I'm expecting something else because it's in the Yarrick genre. Couldn't agree more. Yep. Uh, couldn't even summarize it any better. Well done. Okay. Well, that's it for the day. Why don't you do the lightning round? Oh, wait. Okay. I guess I'll stick around for that. Yes, you should. All right. Well, overall, great tune. We both agree it's essential. Not that it's up to us to decide, but we do agree with the guys that it should get that high of a score, 94. Yes. Yeah. Uh, me too. It's incredible how like a song like this, though, can remove those elements, as you said, and totally remain true Yacht Rock. And then I can hear something else like, I don't know, a later stage Kenny Loggins tune or some David Pack solo stuff. And yeah. I'm like, even though it's got Pack or even though it's got Loggins, it doesn't feel Yachty to me. But yeah. these, this one does. I'm not sure I can explain it either. Yep. All right. Well, I bet we know why. Jay Graydon. Steve, look at the writing, Bill Champlin, and yeah, David but, Foster in the room. Yeah, but that's the case with some of the stuff, you know, post-84 that those guys were still involved in didn't make it Yacht Rock. I mean, I think sometimes that there's, well, we're kind of getting into my lightning round topic. I think there's times that we give credit to personnel or we give credit to elements without actually listening to the song and say, does it sound like <laughs> Yacht Rock? But we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Well, shall we get to that? Let's do it now. Let's get to that. Hiya. <laughs> that's not the sound effect. This is the sound effect. Oh, yeah. Thanks. All right. Well, why don't you uh, set the stage here? Because it sounds like you got a little something or other. Okay. Well, one of the things I noticed going through the uh, Yatsky scale at one point to check out the rating of this was I 
we've talked about this before, the mystery that is Michael Jackson in terms of how it relates to Yacht Rock. Mm-hmm. And then we know that the stuff is loaded with personnel. And if you look at the Yachtsky scale and filter it for Michael Jackson, there's several songs on there. I mean, uh, five tracks are all certified at 65 and above. Wow. I mean, so upper end of the scale. And we both kind of agree that in for our listening, it sounds like it it doesn't really fit. Michael Jackson, even though we could say, this goes back to the question, okay, the elements are there, the players are there, the people are there, the sounds are there, but it still doesn't strike us as Yacht Rock because it's Michael Jackson and that takes us mentally into a different place. True. Okay. Yep. Well, so the original question was, does personnel alone do it? So we'll, I'm going to play one for you. This is a Michael Jackson song. It has not been rated. Not been rated. Um, no, this was written by Paul McCartney. Granted, that is not Yachty personnel. No. But um, this is one of those things where is it or is it not? Does this or does it not float your boat? This is Michael Jackson's Girlfriend. Okay, so you've heard some of the song. Now yep. you have, so that paints a certain picture. Now with the personnel, it's from 1979, off the wall album. It's got JR on drums. Okay, Phil and Gaines. We got Lewis Johnson, Jerry Hay and the Boys. Wait, is that synth bass or real bass? That's real bass. <clears throat> uh, Jerry Hay, George Duke, David Foster on synth, Steve Percaro listed as synth programmer. I don't know if that counts, but uh, mm-hmm. so. Lots of personnel. You're going to put that one on said boat. Pretty, pretty yachty personnel, that is. Um, I would say that song sounds smooth as silk, but not in a yacht rock way. It sounds like really something I would like. Not familiar with the tune, but it doesn't float my boat as a yacht rock tune. I know, but it's loaded with all the personnel. But to me, yeah. I couldn't put that on either. Yeah. Well, to me, there was something about the, in a good way, that I liked the song, the sing-songy kind of happy. Yeah. But that didn't make, that makes it unyachty to me. So. Yeah. McCartney did a version of it on Pipes of Peace. That was probably the original album okay. that it was done on, but good well, tune. I'm going to give you a song that okay. was rated, and I'm going to stick with the George Benson theme. Okay. And before you answer, I'm just going to tell everyone what the song is so they can follow along and what they think. So it's Breezin'. Okay. You know the tune. Yeah. Very popular. Um, when I first started listening to Yacht Rock, I think it was via Sirius XM or something similar. And I would hear Breezin', and that would be one of those yeah, uh, one-bar wonder tunes. Immediate. I think it maybe yeah. even came up. Right? It was. Yeah. The minute I hear it, I'm like, oh, I'm on the yacht. And my blood pressure goes down. Yeah. But then we get more and more into learning what Yacht Rock is, and then I think, well, first of all, instrumentals aren't supposed to be boat-worthy or sea-worthy. Right. Um, does it have the typical Yacht Rock groove? Not really. No. Does it have the production timbre? No. Not really. So I'm curious what you would say about that tune, and then I'm going to give you the Yatsky score. Okay. First, I would say that we all, at one point or another, had that period where we hear a song that we love from that era that's laid back and we automatically go, oh yeah, nostalgia, oh yeah, smooth feels, brings my blood pressure down. It's got to be Yacht Rock. Well, especially if it has a nautical reference like Breezing. Yeah, you, you got to get out of that mode. You can still love the song. It could still do all those things for you. It could still be a brilliant piece of work and not be Yacht Rock. So 
with all of that said, there was absolutely a time that I would have probably argued that it was, but I, I couldn't put it anywhere near the boat, in my opinion, Whoa. now, based on what I know. Would you take it off your Yacht Rock playlist or whatever you're calling pro- that thing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's even on there. It could mm. be. It probably was at one time. I'm not sure if it is now. Would it? Su- I'd put it in the 20s area. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Would it surprise you to know that the OGs gave it a 77.5? Yeah. Thereby making it essential Yacht Rock. No, that doesn't surprise me. But uh. <laughs> Okay. What? Well, it, <laughs> what? It surprises me okay. for all the reasons that you said and- um, I just like that it's validation that I don't have to take it out of my list. All right. Even if somebody came and audited my list. Still <laughs> With, be in there. Well, you've made them public, so yes. that's made me rethink this my list. This is true. <laughs> yes, and people are auditing, that's for sure. I know. Okay, moving right along. Yeah. Uh, buried treasure to you, my friend. Okay. Uh, this is going to be me giving it to you. Uh, buried treasure, that is. So, where are we? Buried treasure. Okay, let's go. Um, so when we went... In- down in Dayton, remember we went and saw Bill yes. Champlin and Tamara play with the uh, Stranger, yep, Yacht Rock Tribute Somebody Band. I kept yelling "Strangler." <laughs> anyway, so, go ahead. Yeah, and then he started strangling Tamara, and we're like, "No, no, no!" It's still funny. Um, and Frankie, uh, Frankie, then uh, knockouts. But anyways, yeah. he did a version of, and I say he because the band didn't play along, but they did this song. Yes, turn your love around. It, it was it had all the programmed background. Right. It sounded great. It did it brought the house down. Well, that bears a striking resemblance to the 1996 Bill Champlin version from his Through It All album. And so that, sir, because I never knew it existed, is my buried treasure. I'll bet you that's what he has. He probably has the instrumental with his vocal stripped out. That's probably what he has. It it, it blazes, man. Yeah. 1996. Excellent. Yeah. So, all right. So you knew that one, huh? I did, but yeah. I probably haven't heard it in a long time. Yeah. Um, probably belongs off the map from a time standpoint. Yeah, and for it's sure. not produced to sound like outright. No, either. it is not. But it was buried because I didn't know it, knew it exists. Anyways, what do you have? Well, my buried treasure goes back to, uh, this one doesn't really connect to the, the topic as much as this one is, uh, well, I guess it does because it's another jazz guy doing yachty stuff. Remember we had, uh, way back, we did a song called Magnificent Madness. It was a John Clemmer song with vocal. So it's kind of a smooth jazz guy bringing in a vocalist, kind of like Lee Rittenauer. This is off the same album, 1980. And um, Abel Boreal is on bass, Harvey Mason on drums, Don Grusin on the electric piano. He's the younger brother of Dave Grusin. And this is John Clemmer doing his cover of Deja Vu. That's smooth as silk, baby. Ooh, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Very nice. That one's going on my yacht jazz list. There you go. Which also would not withstand an audit, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a little less debate about the criteria True, of that yeah. right there. All right. Um, 
Off the map. Off the map. So going back to one of the earlier questions. Um, well, let's say you, you asked me about my rating of Breezin versus the OGs. Well, there's one, another song on there of theirs that I'm not crazy about. The uh, we've actually covered this song. Remember Queen Cool Cat? Oh yeah, that's got a <laughs> that 54. That is the bane of your existence. Well, it's got a fifty-four point seven five, and we can't say that. Okay, well maybe it was early on because this was from Yacht or Not Forty, so they're well into this now. So it raises the question: Can a track? So what we talked about earlier have all the so-called elements. You know, it has the bass pattern that we call Yachty bass pattern. It has a uh, a drum groove that kind of follows what we would call a Yachty groove. It's got a guitar part that's kind of funky. Can we put all those things together? But they're not played with a real yacht rock sensibility. They're played, mm-hmm. you know, they're queen, right? So can a track that has all the so-called elements still lack the sensibility of yacht rock? Kind of, it's kind of like painting by numbers, you know. And you get all the colors in the right squares and all that stuff, and you stand back, and it shows, you know, it looks like a horse standing in front of a barn, but is it really artistic? Is it art? So just because it has all the same bits, does it make it Yacht Rock if it isn't played with the sensibility of those guys? You know, these session musicians we talked about. So that's why I don't think Cool Cat uh, should be certified. Not for me to say, but it leads me to another song of theirs, that I think if if it's if we want to put something closer to yacht rock, this would be more of a West Coast AOR. This is not a yachty sounding song at all, but it has a lot of elements of the rock side of West Coast. This does not really sound like a Queen song. From 1995, they did a song called "You Don't Fool Me." Hmm. Yes, it's got the word "fool" in it. It's definitely <laughs> not yacht rock, but again, it's way more West Coasty feeling than cool cat so even the guitar fills throughout that work in around the, the lyric sound a lot like uh larry carlton than they do like brian may so let's listen to a little bit of you don't fool me so it doesn't sound like your typical queen tune not right? at all but then we get further along, and the guitar solo, which is where you think it's going to be all Brian May, you hear this, it sounds more like Lukather to me than it does Brian May. Here we go. So I'm not advocating for that to be uh, certified or anything like that. It is an off-the-map thing, but yes, I love that. It's off-the-map by Queen standards. Yes. And I heard both the Larry Carlton thing and the Lukather thing in there, so yeah. uh, I would say spot on. I would even agree with you about Cool Cat, because it has the uh, the ingredients, right? but the recipe's not exactly right. Exactly. Uh, or something Well like stated. That. Something like that. Yep. All right. Um, okay. So for my off-the-map, I'm going back to ground we've covered before just a little bit. Uh, we talked about this Al Giroux collaboration with George Benson. Yes. From 2006. Um, it's an album called Giving It Up. It's their interpretation mm. of covers. Right. It's got a lot of vintage George Benson, a lot of vintage Al Giroux scatting. Yeah. Uh, and a number of covers. We talked about Summer Breeze in the past, which is awesome. But since we're talking about David Foster and Jay Graydon and George Benson, here is their version in 2006 of Morning by El Giroux. 
I like that version. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I knew that one. That's really good. It's a good one. Yeah. Very good one. Um, that whole album is really worth your while, I think. Worth my while or like you mean you as in everybody? It's worth one's while. Okay. Or while. While. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, anything further ado? Well, I think we should um, maybe recap where people can find us. Send us. You know, we, we'd love the, the fact that this came from the mailbag. You know, we got to remember that. That um, if you want us to break down a song and hear our take on it, which isn't necessarily the same as something like what Rick Beato would do. We don't uh, do it the same way. But, um, yeah. Yep. So us- you can email us if you're into that electronic mail Ooh. at yachtrockpod at gmail.com. There you go. Uh, fill out the form on our website, which is yachtrockpodcast.com. You can message the Facebook group. Uh, I'm sorry, the Facebook page. And uh, that's about it. Carrier Pigeon has been discontinued. Yeah, we did. We had to go get away with that. You know, it got old. You know, he got old and eventually he just looked at us and said, uh, yeah, the hoi polloi. I don't want to be your lifeline.